Well, we're continuing our series in the Psalms, the Songs of Ascent. So I'd encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 130. That's where we're going to be tonight. As I was uh, reading this week, I read that Martin Luther considered Psalm 130 uh, his favorite psalm. And John Wesley, just before his heart was strangely warmed, heard Psalm 130 sung out, preparing his heart for Christ. Augustine, nearing his death, wanted painted on the walls psalms of confession, including the likes of Psalm 130. John Owen, later in his life, he reflected on a spiritual experience in which after preaching Christ for some years, he said, he said this, my soul was oppressed with horror and darkness, but God graciously relieved my spirit through a powerful application of Psalm 130, verse 4. Martin Luther, John Wesley, Augustine, John Owen. These names may not mean much to you at all, but they are faces that could be described as the Mount Rushmore of church history. And each one had a particular need and a particular application of this psalm. So, think about this. A psalm that prepared an individual to come to Christ. A psalm that sustained a Christian on their journey all the way through. A psalm that reinvigorated a struggling Christian and a psalm that brought comfort to a Christian on his deathbed. Psalm 130. This is a wonderful psalm. And I pray that God uses Psalm 130 to do spiritual surgery on us tonight. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, that Psalm 130 would be applied to your soul. So I'm going to read this out in just a moment. As as I read it, I want you just to follow this psalm as it takes us from the depths of despair to the heights of hope. And watch that trajectory as we read it. So College Church, hear God's word. Psalm 130, a song of a sense. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities. O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope In the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is God's word. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we come to this word And we ask for your Holy Spirit to minister to us, apply it to our souls, wherever we are, in this spiritual journey of seeking you, or longing to know you more, or needing assurance. God, I pray that your word 
would powerfully apply to our souls. Meet us as we've gathered here to meet together. We ask that you would meet with us and help us and strengthen us. God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Open our ears, prepare our hearts, and help us to receive your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, ER, it, it was a TV show about life in a Chicagoland hospital. And there is a scene in a show that's a powerful scene that's stuck with me for a long time. A man who's dying of cancer and he's scared about life after death. And he's wrecked by guilt over a life of sin. So he calls for the hospital chaplain and he says this, How can I even hope for forgiveness? Is atonement even possible? The chaplain basically tells him, you know what, you can kind of choose your own way to God, something along those lines. But the man stops the chaplain and says this, I don't have time for this now. I want a real chaplain who believes in a real God. I need answers. Someone who will look me in the eye and tell me how to find forgiveness because I'm running out of time. How can we find forgiveness? What a question. What a question. Tonight we're talking about finding forgiveness. And this psalm is really going to look us in the eye and give us an answer. As we think about that question, people try to find forgiveness and, and deal with guilt and deal with their sin in many ways. Every year, millions of people dip themselves in the Ganges River in pursuit of spiritual cleansing. They hope that as they dip themselves in this water, the waters will remove their guilt. Now, while waters can clean the body, the truth is waters can never touch the soul. And the supposed cleansing of these waters are actually dangerously polluted, and they're connected to 1.5 million deaths of children due to waterborne illnesses. Waters don't forgive. Some try to forget about their past, forget about their guilt. Maybe they, they move away just to start fresh. Others try to make up for their wrongdoing. They try to use moral improvement to make up for their past. Others try to cleanse themselves from their guilt and cleanse their conscience by turning maybe to alcohol, maybe to substances, maybe to fantasies, maybe to Netflix. Some buy into the cultural model that says this, just forgive yourself. Others simply just don't feel guilty at all and they believe that they're in the right. But spiritual rituals, avoiding the past, Moral improvement, substances, or trying to forgive yourself, or just ignoring guilt altogether, all of these fail in our search to find forgiveness. Not one of them will help us. Why? Well, Psalm 51, verse 4 says this, Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. 
The Bible also says, Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us tonight, we sit here with a track record of a life of wrongdoing, a life of evil thoughts, disordered desires, immoral choices, wicked words, harming others, whether emotionally, mentally, physically. We have a track record of sin. But the Bible tells us that ultimately our sin is against God. We are guilty sinners before a holy God. So we need to refine our question. The question of the passage tonight is, how can I find forgiveness from God? How can I find forgiveness from God? And Psalm 130 teaches us how we can find forgiveness and how we can find a future hope in the Lord God alone. So look at verses 1 to 4 with me, and we're going to see the psalmist first do this, cry out to God. Point one, cry out to God. How can we find forgiveness? Cry out to God. Verse one, the psalmist is in the depths. The depths are the chaos of the sea. It's a, it's a metaphor for adversity and affliction. The psalmist is describing this feeling of being engulfed by despair, a sense of distance from God. And the depths that they're experiencing are a result of their own sin. What they're experiencing right now is, is conviction of their sin and of their guilt. To find forgiveness, we first need to know the misery that sin brings into our lives. But more importantly than this, to find forgiveness, the starting point for that is actually the knowing, the knowing of the guilt that we have before a holy God because of our sin. So verse 1 gives us this poetic imagery for us. It describes this subjective experience of the depths, this pain, this conviction that some of us know all too well. God's hand resting heavy upon a sinner, the depths. But the truth is, whether we feel this conviction or not, there is an objective reality of the depths. An objective reality that all of us are in because of our sin before a holy God. What does the Bible say? The Bible says, apart from God, the heart is deceitful above all things. Listen to these words from Jesus. Jesus taught for from within, out of the heart of man, come all these things. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting. Wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person, Jesus says. This is bad news for us. (laughs) Because of the sinful heart and the sinfulness that flows from us, we are all found to be sinners before a holy God. Now, some know the depths and know that they're in the depths. Others are very hardened to it. I wonder where you are tonight. But regardless of where you are, if you've known the depths of your sin and guilt, or if you're hardened to that, the Bible says there's an objective sinfulness and an objective guilt that we all have before God. 
whether we feel the conviction or not. So our psalm is pointing us to this. Until we actually see our sin and guilt, we will not cry out to the Lord, who is our only hope to find forgiveness. You know, when I was little, I was, uh, I was a round child <laughs> with rolls and cute little chub all over the place. And I was given the nickname Butterball Ben. <laughs> so one day, Butterball Ben was playing in the pool. And uh, I was bouncing around until I started to bounce my way into the deep end. And being young, not a strong swimmer, I began to flounder. And I found myself at the bottom of the pool. And you can believe it, that at the depths of that pool, I was reaching out for help, for rescue. And soon enough, my dad, full clothes, wallet, shoes and all, jumped in and rescued me. From the deep end, I knew I needed help. My arms were stretched high, and my father saved me. The psalmist here, they know they're in the depths. And as my arms were stretched out high for my dad to rescue me, so too the psalmist's voice cries out to the Lord for rescue. The conviction of sin must lead us to the confession of our sin, the crying out before the Lord and bringing that to the Lord for rescue and for help. We find forgiveness for our sin and our guilt by crying out to God from the depths. We pray. We lift our voice. We confess. We offer pleas for mercy. Have mercy on me, O God. We cry out to God. And why do we do this? We cry out because God actually promises to hear us when we cry out and make this prayer. Listen to 2 Chronicles chapter 6. 2 Chronicles 6 recounts Solomon's prayer at the dedication of the temple. And he prays this. He says, And listen to the pleas of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place to the temple. And listen from heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. Solomon laying down this pattern for the people of Israel that in their sin, they're to cry out to God and God will hear in heaven and he will forgive people. A promise that when we cry out, God will hear. So tonight, Psalm 130, it's inviting sinners who recognize the depths of their sin and of their guilt and of their misery to cry out to God because he promises to hear us. What a great promise that is. The conviction of sin must lead us and move us to the confession of our sin, the crying out and and, and leaving that to the Lord and giving that to him. I wonder for you tonight, when conviction sets in, do you cry out to God? Is that your response or do you just simply try to do better next time? Do you cry out to God or do you turn to friends who will just tell you what you want to hear so that you'll feel a little bit better about yourself? 
Do you cry out to God? Or do some of you turn to drinking to kind of numb the pain? Or something else in life that will take your mind off of the guilt that you know that is there? Do you cry out to God or do you just try to justify your sin by actually maybe trying to change what's right and what's wrong? Or when conviction sets in, do you cry out to God? You offer your confession, owning up to your sinfulness before God, crying out for mercy. That's what the psalmist does. The psalmist owns up to his sin before God. Look at verse 3 with me. He says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? The answer to this rhetorical question is no one. (laughs) No one could stand. He's acknowledging his sin. He's acknowledging his sinfulness. He's acknowledging the depths that he not only feels, but knows he is in because of his guilt before God. And he's owning up to it before him. He's saying, I couldn't stand before you, God. No one can. No one. He would heartily affirm Paul's words in Romans chapter 3, which say this, none is righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible is laying down truth that is bad news on the front end of it, that we cannot stand on our own merit before God. We could not survive his presence in our sinfulness apart from his intervention. But he invites us tonight to cry out to him from these depths, to own up to our sin, to cry out to God with pleas for mercy and for compassion, to cry out to God, verse 4, the one who forgives. Look at verse 4 with me. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand but with you? There is forgiveness that you may be feared. In the depths of sin and guilt, we can cry out to the God who forgives. Because with God, there's forgiveness. Now many don't cry out to God. And I wonder if that's because they have the wrong perception of who God is. I wonder if tonight you view God as harsh, maybe. With God, there's forgiveness. I wonder if you might view God as uncaring, maybe distant, maybe out to get you. Psalm 130, verse 4 says, with God, there's forgiveness. Do you view God as maybe unapproachable? With God, there is forgiveness. So what is it that we can do when we find ourselves in the depths of our sin and of our guilt? We can cry out to God who hears the one who forgives because with God, there is forgiveness. But wait, how how can this be possible? (laughs) I thought God can't be in the presence of sin. I thought I couldn't stand before God. How can I find forgiveness with this God if I am a sinner? Well, let's think for a moment. 
This word forgiveness is translated in the New Testament as this theological word called propitiation or atoning sacrifice or, more simply, the means of forgiveness. And so this word, as we get into the New Testament, is found in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. Listen to these words. The Apostle John says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. Here's what the New Testament teaches us. This is where the good news of the gospel comes in. The good news of the gospel tells us that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus is the means for forgiveness. See, all along in all of the Bible, God has laid down patterns and laid down shadows for how he, a holy God, could forgive an unholy, undeserving people. Substitutionary sacrifice. Think of Exodus 12. The blood of the lamb on the doorpost in the place of sinful Israel, sparing them, saving them. Sacrifice. Leviticus 4. Sacrificial system. Animal sacrifices offered over and over again as a substitute for sinners to make atonement for them. And when God would receive the sacrifice, He would forgive. But the New Testament is clear. These are simply shadows. The blood of goats and bulls cannot ultimately take away sin and guilt, Hebrews 10 tells us. Those are shadows. They're shadows of the only sacrifice that can really deal with sin. Here's where it all comes together in Romans chapter 3. Paul tells us this. Again, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is the bad news. But the good news is this. We are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, as an atoning sacrifice, as the means of forgiveness by His blood to be received by faith. You see, God sent Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice in the place of sinners like me and like you. He received the just punishment that we deserved upon Himself so that God's justice and holiness are upheld because He is a holy God that cannot be in the presence of sin and must punish our sin. But He can also give us forgiveness. And forgiveness can be received to all who turn and trust in Christ. That is why, with God, there is forgiveness. Because Jesus is our atoning sacrifice. So we cry out from the depths. We cry out to the God who forgives because of Christ. If we confess our sins, He is faithful. He is just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. With God, there is forgiveness because of Christ. So college church, when your past sin barks at you like a vicious dog, remember 
Psalm 130, verse 4. Quiet those barks, because with God there is forgiveness because of Christ. When you're present sin, right now you're sitting here and you're feeling the weight of sin that you are experiencing, maybe even feeling conviction tonight. When that is burdening you, hold fast to Psalm 130, verse 4. With God, there is forgiveness because of Christ. When your kids come to you and they bring all their stuff, all their sin, all their shame, speak to them. Psalm 130, verse 4, and say, with the Lord, there's forgiveness because of Christ. When your neighbor comes to you and they unleash all of their guilt and they don't know if anybody will accept them, preach to them. Psalm 130, verse 4, and say, with the Lord, there is forgiveness because of Christ. I believe some of you tonight who've come here tonight, you've been searching for forgiveness. You've been looking all over the place, trying to find it. You've been looking around. You've been turning to other things, turning to other people. Everything else fails. It is only with the Lord that we can find the forgiveness that we seek because of Christ. Will you cry out to him tonight? Will you bring all of your stuff to him? He's waiting to forgive because of Jesus Christ when you turn to him from the depths of your sin. With God, there is forgiveness because of Christ. And that's good news for sinners like me and like you. But verse 4 is not finished. <laughs> Look down there with me. We see that forgiveness from God fuels a right fear of God. Do you see that? The end of verse 4, that you may be feared. Receiving God's forgiveness is not a free pass to just continue in a life of sin. Forgiveness fuels fear. Fear meaning reverence, meaning worship or obedience. Or just simply look to Psalm 128, verse 1. Look there with me. It says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, a.k.a. who walks in His ways. See, the one who is forgiven is fueled to no longer walk in the ways of sin, but now to walk in the ways of obedience. Another way to think about it is this. Finding forgiveness actually frees us to fear God. Because when we're carrying the weight of guilt and of sin, we're enslaved to it. We're not free to do it, and free to obey God, because we're carrying the weight and burden of our sin. We're hindered. But actually, when we find forgiveness, we're freed to actually now serve. And we can do that in the strength that God provides. With the Lord, there is forgiveness because of Christ that we may fear Him and obey God. So I wonder if you're here tonight and you found forgiveness with God because of Jesus Christ. I wonder where you are called this week to recommit to walking in God's ways, to fearing Him, 
to obeying him. We're forgiven that we may do that. So friends, these are powerful words for us to embrace tonight. Cry out to God. Plead for mercy. Cry out to God for forgiveness. And we find forgiveness with him because of Christ. But in verses 5 through 8, we actually see the impact of this crying out to God in verses 5 to 8. It's not only cry out to God, but we see the psalmist hope in God. We're moving from the, the depths of despair to the heights of hope. Crying out to God and hoping in God. The psalmist in verse 5 is now filled with hope in light of the forgiveness that he knows he has with God. He's waiting. He's waiting. It might be because the consequences of his sin or the circumstances surrounding his choices, those, those may not be completely changed. But the character and the promises of God fill him with great hope. Finding forgiveness with God brings him from the depths of despair to the heights of hope. He's waiting. He's waiting. He's found forgiveness, but he's waiting to be restored. He's waiting to be redeemed fully and completely. But he's waiting in such a way that he's full of hope. And he's hoping in God's word. What is that? It's, it's God's past faithfulness, God's promises that he finds in the scriptures that give him hope that God will continue to act on his behalf. God will keep his promises. He has kept his promises. And he hopes in God's words in the midst of his waiting that God will continue to do so. And he waits more than the watchman for the morning. <laughs> you see that twice? The watchmen guarded the city at night against attack. They stayed up. They pushed through their tiredness. But they waited for the sun to rise. They were eagerly waiting. They were waiting so they could be relieved of their duties and head home. Well, those who are forgiven, they wait. But they wait with confidence. And they wait with hope that God will faithfully act and finally redeem. And he's full of so much hope that he can't contain himself. Look at verse 7. He invites all of Israel to join with him in hoping with the Lord. Why is this? Well, not only with the Lord is there forgiveness, but what else do we see? We see that with the Lord there's steadfast covenant love. We sang about that tonight. Wasn't that a beautiful song? Not only with the Lord is there forgiveness and steadfast love, but there's plentiful redemption and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Israel became a waiting people, but they were waiting with hope in the redemption that would come. Listen to one of the promises of Isaiah 35. It talks about this future day of redemption in this way. Verse 10, it promised a day when the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. They were waiting for that day, that final day of redemption with the hope of God's promise. Now picture this with me in Luke chapter 2 because this is, this is a beautiful illustration of what was going on with God's people. Because in Luke chapter 2, 
after centuries of waiting for redemption, after the exile, and even being brought back, but still under foreign rule, they're, they're waiting for redemption. And the prophetess Anna in Luke 2 and many others, they prayed at the temple for decades, waiting for the redemption of God's people. Anna, 84 years old, waiting, hoping, longing for the redemption of Israel. But someone arrived at the temple one day, (laughs) baby Jesus. And Anna gave thanks to God because the one who would redeem Israel had finally come. And this one would not come to redeem politically or come to redeem socially, but Jesus came to die on the cross to redeem his people from their sins. And Hebrews chapter 9 says that Jesus secured an eternal redemption through his sacrifice on the cross for sin. Remember, an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Our psalmist in Psalm 130, they waited for redemption. Israel waited for redemption. And at Jesus' first coming, what happened? Jesus secured eternal redemption from sin. For us. But for us today, they they were waiting for Jesus' first coming. We're waiting for Jesus' second coming. We, the church, wait for Jesus to come. And while we confess our sins and we cry out to God and we can be assured that we are forgiven, that He's faithful and just to do so, we still wrestle with sin, do we not? We still struggle with sin. And we're still waiting until sin will be no more. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. We're waiting for Jesus to bring the final day of redemption. That's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, we've been given the Holy Spirit. We've been sealed as a down payment for the day of redemption that is coming. Jesus secured redemption from sin, and yet there's also a day that is coming when when we will be finally and fully redeemed. There will be a day when my fight against sin and your fight against sin will be no more. Jesus has forgiven us. He's redeemed us from the guilt and the penalty of sin, but there will be a day when we will no longer have to wrestle with the presence of sin. We are no longer going to have to fight but one day that fight will end one day there will be a redemption of our decaying bodies one day there will be a redemption and of our from our fight against sin and one day there will be a redemption from the very presence of sin so i just wonder for us tonight you might be sitting here and even assured that you're forgiven but you're just simply weary in your fight You're waiting. You're longing for that day when I no longer have to fight anymore. It's beating me down. This is hard. Waiting is hard. But Christian, in God's word, we hope. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgiveness, to forgive us. In God's word, we hope tonight That one day he will redeem our decaying bodies and give us new bodies. In God's word, we hope in this truth 
that one day our fight against sin will be no more. You don't have to battle anymore. The presence of sin will be gone. Christian, tonight, hope in God. Your eternal redemption is secure. The day of redemption is coming. Jesus is coming back. With God, we find forgiveness. But with God, we find a future hope as well. I'll end with this. A few months ago, I found myself discouraged. I was wrestling with the conviction of sin in my life. And I I texted a friend. I, I shared those struggles. And the simple response was this. Heaven soon. Heaven soon. Heaven soon. Our fight against sin one day will be no more. Heaven soon. Heaven is coming. The day of redemption is coming. No more sin. Bodies redeemed. The fight finished. A new heaven and a new earth will arrive and there will be an eternal rest, an eternal redemption that you and I will enjoy. Heaven soon. He's coming. The day of redemption. How can we find forgiveness? Cry out to God. Hope in God. Heaven soon. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do cry out to you. Not one of us could stand in your presence on our own because of our sin. We confess that to you. We cry out from the depths of the misery in our life. But we know that with you there is forgiveness because of Christ. And I pray that you would apply that truth into the hearts that are here tonight, wherever they are in their spiritual journey. Maybe for the first time. Maybe for those who are wandering. Maybe for those who need an assurance. That you would apply this truth that we can find forgiveness in you because of Christ. Help us, God. And I pray that you would fill us with hope that as we wait for your second coming, this final day of redemption, that you would fill us with hope in the promises of your word and all that you've taught us. Lord, help us to long for heaven where sin will be no more. So we trust in that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.